Welcome everyone to the Change Starts Here podcast. I'm your host, Dustin Odom, and I am doing today's intro from uh, outside of my kids' camp. Uh, we recorded uh, my interview that I did yesterday, uh, yesterday obviously, and uh, I wanted to do the intro today as I had time to reflect on it. Our guest today is a gentleman named Derek Clark, and the interview was incredibly powerful. And for me, I think what was most powerful was, I think it's the first time in an interview that I've had on the podcast where I was actually brought to tears as I thought about uh, the trauma that my guest experienced and putting myself in his shoes or trying to as best I could, as well as putting my kids in his shoes. Um, it was, I mean, we, we jump right into his Derek Clark story and it, it was deep and uh, it was real trauma. And I think, the thing I appreciated most about him is uh, he somehow figured out a way, once you hear his story, you'll be as shocked as I am, but he somehow figured out a way to take his story and to turn it around on its head and use it for hope. You know, he joked, uh, I guess he could be serious, but he joked that he believes he's a hope dealer, which I totally believe. I mean, he, he's got a really cool acronym for hope um, that I love. Um, so I believe, you know, in every fiber of his being, he believes his goal is to provide hope for others. Um, and his story is one that you wouldn't think would, uh, you would be able to use as hope one day, at least for him to be able to use his hope one day. And it's just awesome. He is a inspirational person. He is a uh, honest and deep person. And then on top of all of that, he's actually gone viral, thanks to Steve Harvey and uh, YouTube, I think he's got over 300 million views uh, as a rapping dad. And so uh, a lot of folks may know him as a rapping dad. I chose today to spend uh, my time with him uh, going into his life story and going into trauma and going into best practices for, as educators, how do we deal with our own trauma and how do we process our own challenges? And he's got a lot of great advice for us there. But at the end, we dive into rapping dad and it was awesome. It was a lot of fun. So. He's a great conversationalist. He's an inspirational story, and it's a great interview. It's one of my favorites. Like I said, I, I was brought to tears, and so um, my goal isn't to bring anybody to tears, but I think once you dive in five or 10 minutes, you'll understand where, where my head was at. So enjoy. If you haven't subscribed, please subscribe. If you are subscribing, we thank you so much for your support. And as always, share this uh, podcast after you listen to it if you think it'll help someone else uh, going through whatever they're going through. Uh, appreciate it. Enjoy. Derek, thank you so much for making time to be here. Hey, thanks, Dustin, for having me. This is an honor. I'm, I'm privileged to be here. Yeah. So uh, first question we start off with every guest is a somewhat simple, but usually complex answer is what we get out of it. So who are you and what do you love about what you do? Well, my name is Derek Clark, and I would probably say I'm a hope dealer, not a dope dealer, <laughs> not a hate dealer, not a dream stealer, but a, a hope dealer. And um, helping people never limit their lives, living beyond their self-perceived limits. So in reality, I'm a quote unquote motivational speaker. Um, my life has been crazy to get to this point, which I'm sure we're gonna talk about, uh, but yeah, motivational speaker, author, a lot, of, a lot of hats I wear, but I love helping people. Yeah, well, one of the things that, um, so we were kind of talking before, you know, trying to gauge how much uh, I know about you, and I would say I wouldn't, wouldn't call myself an expert, but uh, after watching just one video of you talk about your personal story, and then see how you flip that to inspire others and go deep and see how raw you are, um, that 
got me on the hook. So then I look and and I and we've talked to a lot of authors on here. One thing I noted uh, on your page was uh, you call yourself a survivor and an author, not just an author. So with that, I think it's really powerful because that's your message. But tell us your survival story before we dive into the way you provide hope for all those around you. Yeah, see, Dustin, I didn't grow up on love, um, affection, uh, a wonderful mom and dad that just loved on me. I grew up on survival. See, at age five, I lost everything in my life. I lost my mom, my dad, my brother, my sister, my aunts, my uncles, my grandparents, my bedroom, my toys, my bed, my self-respect, my identity, my dignity. But over the years, I learned how to turn nothing into something. See, how I came in this life is a crazy story. My mom had been sexually abused and raped by men in her past. And when she got pregnant with me, she told this man who forced himself on her that I'm pregnant with your kid. And he says, you better go get an abortion. If you don't get an abortion, I'll kill the kid myself. So at three months, no abortion, six months, I'm still in there enjoying myself, swimming the amniotic fluid and the warmth of my mother's womb. I try to think positive because it's going to get crazy and toxic. But at seven months pregnant, you got a nice bump there. And my mom is waitressing at a restaurant in San Diego, California, doing her job, waiting tables. And my six foot five dad comes into that restaurant in a fit of rage because my mom didn't get rid of me. Grabbed my mother by her long blonde hair, whip lashed her to the floor, dragged her back into the kitchen, and continued to stomp on her stomach over and over again to kill me. But I lived. I lived. That's what's crazy. And so my dad went to prison, and life was just crazy. Uh, my mom got back with that man. Mm. And I asked my mom, why would you ever get back with this man when I was 30 years old, when I met her 25 years later? And uh, after she abandoned me at five, right? And she said, well, Derek, that's what I thought love was, is that you abuse me because that's the, the generational cycle that's been handed down. I had to learn empathy. I had to learn compassion, seek to understand, right? <laughs> One of the keys, right? And understand my mom has a story and my grandparents have a story and my great grandfather has a story. And it's an incredibly sad story, but I had to make sure that I was gonna be conscious and intentional when I was an adult to pass on generational blessings to my kids and not generational cycles or generational curses. But what happened, Dustin, is I got brutally abused. I don't have to get into it because it's gonna be sickening to some listeners, but I got brutally abused for a number of years until five years old, they had enough of me, my mom and my stepdad. We were, uh, my mom got rid of that other guy. We lived in a park. We were homeless in El Cajon, California. Then we lived in a one-car yucky old garage. And then we, my mom found a new man that had a house. And we moved into his house. But he did a lot of bad stuff to me. And my mom did a lot of bad stuff to me. And at five years old, they packed me up in a car. And they drove me to a big building. And we walked in. And I remember my mom and my stepdad talking to a few people and then a guy in a white coat says, come with me, Derek. And I don't ever remember my mom saying, I love you or I'm coming back for you or you just need a little help. No, she abandoned this adorable, cute little blonde boy at a psychiatric hospital at five years old and never came back. 
And if you've ever been to a psych facility as a little kid, they do lots and lots of tests on you. Neurological evaluations, speech and language evaluations, psychiatric evaluations, brain scans, psychological exams. And they came up with all these labels that I was mentally are, erratic psychosis, emotionally disturbed. Did you know at six years old, because I spent a long time there, uh, six years old, I had the vocabulary of a two and a half year old. I had a vocabulary of 75 words. Wow. The national average in America is 2,600 words for a six-year-old. A three-year-old has approximately 300 words. I was six years old, had the IQ of a two and a half year old. I did not learn to run and write or run till seven years old. I didn't learn to read and write till eight to nine years old. I didn't learn to walk up and down stairs by myself till about seven years old. And they gave me all these labels. And then after a while, I was abandoned at a, um, a shelter for unadoptable kids. They labeled me unadoptable kids, uh, unadoptable kid. I'm here to tell you every kid is adoptable, though, Dustin. Every kid deserves love. Every kid deserves a family. The only time you turn your back on a kid, I tell people all the time, the only time you turn your back on a kid is for them to hop on for a piggyback ride, a horsey ride. So, but that's that's how the beginning started of Derek Clark. <laughs> Sorry, being so long there, but yeah. No, that's good. I, I think, I mean, there's there's so much to unpack in this. I mean, I, I've got three little boys myself, an eight, six, and a two-year-old. Uh-huh. Um, and so you telling that story, like I, I mean, I'm already almost not that anybody else can see, but basically in tears thinking about, I couldn't imagine, uh, what that would look like for me to drop off one of my kids and just like leave, but also, you know, knowing my kids as well. And you've got four kids of your own, right. Um, knowing like them well enough to know how they would feel after that. I mean, it's just heartbreaking. So how did you, and when did you start putting pieces together? Cause if you were, you know, years behind your development, uh, you were labeled unadoptable, which I can't even imagine that's a thing, but that's a thing, I guess. Um, how are you able to like break that and to just start functioning? We're not even getting to yeah. how you're changing the world for school districts and organizations everywhere by being a hope dealer, but like, how are you able to just get on your feet? Yeah. So I went through a series of foster homes and then this foster home took me in for a weekend. It was the last foster home in the county. And I have it memorized. The court says if an adequate foster home that takes takes high-level kids like me, because I had a lot of anger issues and behavioral issues and emotional issues, uh, if an adequate foster home cannot be found for Derek, he will be sent to Napa State Hospital, a psychiatric institution in, in California as a kid. And I've talked to Napa State workers, and they said, if you ever came here as a kid, you would be medicated, given all these labels, these disorders, and probably never leave because nobody wanted you. But my social worker made one more call, one more call beyond the call of duty and called these foster parents up that weren't looking to foster anymore. They were looking to adopt because being a foster parent is an emotional roller coaster ride. Yeah. And they were they were tired of being foster. They wanted to adopt. And she called them up and says, I got this cute kid with a big personality. She's trying to sell me. <laughs> And uh, his dad's in prison. Um, Mom doesn't want to go through parenting classes or reunification therapy. He's not adoptable, but you could probably keep him long term. And they said, can we try him out for a weekend? They wanted to test drive me, right? And so I showed up at that door. And we knock on the door. The door opens and this man and woman go, hi, Derek, how are you? And I didn't like happy people at that moment in my life. You know, I was in such a dark place. I go, how do you know my name? 
how you know my name just like that (laughs) and uh i said uh and the foster dad goes whoa he has a lot of attitude derek why don't you run around and i'm like i'll run away i'll run away and here's this almost seven-year-old right and uh he goes oh okay you want to run away run that way except i couldn't run yet so i'm walking right and i walk off this dirt path I'm sorry, work. I walk off this concrete path onto a dirt path and I walk along this fence line and I look back and they're not coming for me. And I get way up there along this fence line and they're still not coming back. And I'm thinking I'm running away. And all of a sudden I see these big horses come up to the fence and I never seen a horse before. And then I saw goats and pigs and all these animals. And then the the grand kahuna prize for any little kid, a bunch of chickens in a chicken coop. And I loved being in that chicken coop. And at the end of that weekend, I threw this bigger temp, big temper tantrum and my social worker comes to pick me up and I don't want to leave. And I bang my head and I'm screaming out of control. And my foster mom says, Derek, we don't act like that here. Stand up. And so I stood up. She goes, what is it that you want? I turned to my social worker. They don't want me. And they said, do you really have to take them to Napa State Hospital? She goes, yeah, you were the last family. And they worked it out where I could stay a week. And I loved it on that ranch for that week. And at the end of the week, I knew it was time to go. And I had my black plastic bag full of my little clothes. And my foster mom comes down to my room and says, I got a surprise for you. And I said, do I get to take Wilbur, my chicken, with me? She goes, no, you get to stay here a month. And a month turned into a year, Dustin. And a year turned into years. They're my mom and dad. For me, love was thicker than blood. You don't have to have the DNA to make a difference in the life of a child. Now, let me tell you how special both of my foster parents are. They're both educators, both teachers. (laughs) So what are teachers supposed to do? Look for the potential in a child, right? Inspire the greatness, the courage, the tenacity out of that child. And so they worked with me and they worked with me and they worked with me. And yet I had a lot of disabilities. Teachers are repetition, right? Just repetition, repetition. And they worked with me and they realized that maybe I wasn't all the issues, the labels that were put on, put upon me. Maybe I was just an angry little boy that did have some learning issues. And so they worked with me and my life transformed at about 10 years old. They they changed five things real quick. Five things up for me as a this kid in foster care. No sugar cereals, because when I was on sugar, it was like crazy. No sodas, except on my birthday or someone else's birthday, because that's like crack cocaine. Like I get hyped up, right? <laughs> and then uh, no TV, except one hour a week. The national average is three to five hours a day, right? Um, no video games, because I acted out the violence and stuff in video games. And the last thing, have a creative outlet. So they chose the clarinet for me. Wow. And I would have to practice that clarinet. It was a musical family, the teacher, you know. Yep. But I practiced that clarinet. They made me practice at 10 years old, six in the morning till seven, five days a week, plus a half an hour, seven to seven thirty, work with my dad at memorization skills at the piano, plus a half an hour after school, plus private lessons, band lessons, symphonic lessons. No joke. Dustin, by the time I was 12 years old, I was considered a prodigy clarinet player in California. That means that I was at 12 and 13 years old competing at universities and colleges against university and college students and winning what they call command performances. I had memorized eight to 10 page concertos at 12, 13 years old. 
The last one I was working on was called, a song called The Flight of the Bumblebee, which is so hard on the clarinet because it's so... Yep. Right? So what helped me was those two educators, those two teachers, and permanency. Mm. Permanency. Not getting, putting, I was in foster care for 13 years. I didn't have to go through 30, 40, 50 foster homes. That last foster home kept me. That's what helped me. What, so that's that's incredible. First off, I mean, those people who are listening not can't see you, it looks like you've got your own band ready to go behind you. It looks like a keyboard, a few oh, guitars. Yeah. I, I guess there's got to be a clarinet now. Um, I'm not going to ask you to play any of it for this <laughs> session, maybe next time. But uh, I, I'm curious, what was your school experience like um, during any of these times? What was it like to be in school when you were didn't really have much permanency or you were just starting off, you know, relationship with them. And what was it like in the middle school and high school for you? Ooh, that's a, that's a crazy uh, question. Uh, because school was very, very, very tough. My foster parents will tell you in elementary school, I was out of school more than I was in school because of behavioral problems. I've been suspended a lot. Plus I, I went through psychiatric counseling twice a week from ages uh, seven to almost 13 years old, where I would get taken out of school, go to the county uh, psychiatrist, county building. And then obviously that would trigger a lot. Then I would come back and be out of control when people told me what to do at school and stuff. And I speak a lot on PBIS and SEL and all that stuff, right? Social emotional learning and stuff. And uh, because I come from a different perspective, the one that's gone through trauma yeah. and why are they acting out? So it's all about behaviors. The behaviors are the story that maybe the child or the teenager can't tell in any other way. So you have to get beyond the behavior. You know, we call it, I call it, I have a whole program called connection versus correction, alliance versus compliance. So it's about connection, connection, connection. And so, you know, my high school year, my, uh, my middle school years were a little bit better, but my high school years, I had a lot of issues. Um, I was in a lot of trouble. Unfortunately, this, this teenage foster youth. I was in a lot of trouble. And yep. then I got expelled out of high school. I don't know if we want to go there, but sorry. No, I, here's <laughs> just being, you know, one thing about me is I'm raw and real. So that's, that's why I love you. I mean, sincerely, yeah. like, I think that's one thing that anybody who's just learning who you are, I mean, once they get off and they uh, go Google you for a little bit and go to your website, more importantly, like there's a lot of YouTube videos that we can talk about, but I think your your motivational talks or just your conversations you've had with people is just so raw and real yeah. that it's refreshing. Um, my question is really geared around, you know, I, I think about you know, most people listening are educators and where my head goes as a former educator is if you were one of my students, how what what role could I be playing to best love and support you at the time that you may be getting suspended or kicked out of my school? So what do you have advice for educators to pour in and build, like you said, alliances or connections yeah. with a kid who may not be mature enough to really receive it at that time. That's a, that's the part that's kind of jarring me right now. Yeah. So the number one complaint I've spoken all over the world, well, from my surveys from Australia, Mexico, Canada, and America, yep. the number one complaint among youth students is that number one complaint is nobody listens to me. It's interesting in the word listen, L-I-S-T-E-N, rearrange it, makes the same letters, makes the word silent. Yep. 
Yep. How many of us listen to reply, which a lot of us listen to reply, and we always want to want up, right? Well, I know how you feel. Oh, I did this. I did that. And we steal people's thunder a lot of times. It's like one-upping everybody, right? And I, I learned, I speak in prisons, I speak uh, at juvies and stuff, and I, I've just learned the power of connection is meeting them where they're at, listening, acknowledging, validating and being that positive modeling adult. Well, what's that positive modeling adult? Well, that means don't yell at them because think about the environments that they've come from are toxic and chaotic where everybody, their parents might be cussing and, and um, yelling and threatening, but it's the power of that caring voice. Even when you don't want to use that caring voice, <laughs> yeah. that caring voice is something foreign. Think about when they come to school, that's the safe place a lot of times. Ooh. And so that caring voice not that aggravated voice, not that frustrated voice, but also just spending some quality time, having that power of connection um, and trying to understand them, you know, and also, you know, a big thing is providing security, safety, controlling their nervous system in a way where you just calm them down with safety, with your caring voice, with, are you hungry? Do you need something? You know, so I'm all about that is going deeper than just throwing more gas on the fire. So listening is number one, meeting them where they're at number two. If you just knew 25% of what happens in students' homes, chances are you'd never get mad at them. You'd cry for them. Right. So having that seek to understand, right? So I remember one of my uh, favorite students who I taught trigonometry, so you can imagine how excited kids were to come to my <laughs> class sometimes. Uh, you know, there's one kid, I taught geometry as well. And there's one kid who I loved. And every time I could get him focused, he was there, but he was almost never there. And, you know, every time he showed up, I just treated it like it was a new day. And it wasn't so, and I could never figure out why he wasn't there. Then one of his students trusted me enough. Finally, his best friend was like, Hey, you know, Mr. O, like the reason he's not here is he has to, he moves every week. He's living in a hotel. His, his mom's moving and he's got two younger brothers that he has to make sure get to school and get home. Oh. And he's doing that. And so, um, you know, it, it breaks my heart to figure out how do we come around him? I mean, I think James has done a, a really good job, but the other part is, you know, from a teacher standpoint, it's, it's really stressful sometimes. Right. And oh. I always joke, you know, our, our organization talks about, you know, a paradigm of we see a genius in every kid, right? We, there's genius in every child. Yeah. It just looks different. It's our job to help find that. And I'll say there are just times of the year or when you're stressful where the, the Derek Clarks of the classroom, you're like, <laughs> I know there's genius, but today I don't feel it. And I wonder what kind of advice you have to adult Derek Clark to deal with uh, kid Derek Clark that teachers or administrators can use when they're, they've basically had it and are ready to, to right. send Derek to the next school. I think you hit one major point is you treat each day as a new day versus holding on to bitterness and grudge every every time you see Derek Clark, right? Yep. Resentment, all this stuff, because I might have just cussed you out or you just gave me a referral and all that stuff, right? But there's, there's one thing about mindfulness and self-care for you because you're human too. And right. you're dealing with relationships at home with your teenage kids, with your spouse. And then you get in traffic, commuting 30 minutes and somebody cuts you off or flips you off or does all that bad stuff when you're on your drive. By the time you get to the school parking lot, you don't have time for anybody. You're like, no, don't want, no one starts with me. But I, I, I have these few hacks that I do. And one of the hacks I do, 
as I count backwards from 765. Now, <laughs> <All right. laughs> I don't get to zero. I don't get to 100. I don't get to 600. But what it does is counting backwards slows your brain down because it uses a different part of the brain. Mm. We've been taught, teachers, everybody has taught you to, to think forward, right? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, right? All that stuff. Everything's forward, walking forward, all that stuff. And so I have found this hack of counting backwards, 765, 764, 763, 762. It slows me down. Now, I'll never get to 700, but it slows me down to be in the moment. It's the power of the moment, this, this moment right now. Not what just happened 10 minutes ago, not what's the future because we haven't even arrived there yet. So we don't want to build up all these crazy expectations that are going to happen once you go in the classroom. Oh, I got to deal with Derek again and that, that, that. But you want to calm yourself down. And if you're good at counting backwards, because a lot of people can count forwards very quick, but if you're good at counting backwards pretty quick, then I... I have another hack, which is do the alphabet backwards. Z, <laughs> X, Y, T, R, U, I don't know, whatever. And so it, you have to think. And when you're thinking, okay, listen, when you're thinking about that letter or that number, you're not thinking about Derek Clark or what you've got to deal with in two minutes or five minutes. You're breathing. And now what also helped me, Dustin, another hack. Now I'm extreme sometimes, you know, meditation, breathe in, hold for four, six, eight seconds, breathe out. And that never worked for me. <laughs> and so what I do is I literally do a triple breath. I breathe in through my nose. And I hold it. Not for eight seconds, not for 10 seconds, not for 20 seconds, not for 30 seconds. I hold it. And I hold it and I hold it until I need to breathe. I let it out through my mouth and then I breathe. And what's the first thing I'm thinking about, Dustin? Air. <laughs> I want to survive. Yeah. I want to live. Don't pass out. <laughs> I want to live. <laughs> and so you're not thinking about Derek Clark. You're not thinking about the classroom. You're thinking, I want to live and you just center yourself. So these are extremes because obviously I've gone through a lot of childhood trauma and stuff, but these are extremes that have helped me, that have helped other audiences that maybe we have this residual bitterness, this residual, that's just accumulating of bitterness and resentment and grudges. You know what the most flammable piece of wood is? It's not elm, it's not oak, it's not pine, it's not California redwood. It's the chips on your shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> and so you got to learn to flick those chips off your shoulder, your bitterness, your rage, your grudges, your resentment. And so, yeah, so that's what I would highly recommend. I mean, I, I, um, you know, as I was tearing up earlier, thinking about your story, like I can, there's plenty of stuff that we're all scarred by our own upbringings, right. And their own reality, you know, from working with urban schools where some of my students were scared to walk to school because they may get robbed or did get robbed to suburban schools they're just upset because someone's being mean to them somehow like it feels very real to each individual going yeah. through it how like what were the keys for you being able to say you know what i'm not i'm not the product of this upbringing i'm gonna that's, that was a gift to me because i feel like you i don't know if you said it that way but i feel like that's the presence i get is like I wouldn't want this in anybody, but I feel like it was a gift given to me so that I can help others. Is that how you feel? And how were you able to transition that? Well, I would have never asked for this life. <laughs> totally, totally. I, 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 I would have terrible, never asked but... to be abused, but I heard Dr. Wayne Dyer say one 
years ago that helped change my perspective was when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. So the way I looked at my life was always a curse for many years until I started realizing that my life's a blessing here. This is how the transformation happened, Dustin. 18 years old, expelled out of high school. I, I couch surf, run away from the foster home. That only lasts so long, a few weeks. I called my foster parents up and they said, um, I said, well, can I come home? They go, no, it's too much, Derek. It's too much. And then my dad says, well, if you go to counseling to understand your anger and your rage, and I'm like, I'm not going to counseling again. He goes, well, if you're going to live in this house, you're going to live, you're going to go to counseling. And then he says, do it for your brother. Now keep in mind, 16 years old, my biological sister was shot and killed because of a domestic situation. What didn't kill my grandma, killed, didn't kill my mom, killed my sister on Mother's Day. Hmm. My brother was killed. And my good friend was shot and killed all between 16 and 17 years old. And I just lost hope for the world. And I got violent and got expelled. And so I decided to come home and go to a three-day course on how to understand my rage and my anger. It's from eight in the morning till midnight for three days, eight in the morning till midnight. And it's counseling, not behind closed doors, but counseling with other at-risk, high-risk youth. I call them full of potential youth, full of potential youth, but it changed my life because it was a key phrase when I was, now I never cried because crying to me was a sign of weakness and I wouldn't give anybody the satisfaction to let them know that they hurt me. So in foster care, you learn to compartmentalize everything. And I had like 90 mansion, 90 rooms in my mansion up here. Yeah. And so I learned how to compartmentalize, turn off the tears, just be angry. But I remember I was, I did cry. And I remember she's saying, I want you to feel some love. And I'm like, I don't need love. I don't need love, lady. I don't need love. And you know what? The most, the ones who need the most love will ask for in the most unloving of ways. I needed love. But the problem was, Dustin, I didn't love myself. So in the middle of this desperate situation, I was emotional, crying. And she said this, Derek, you were a kid. It was never your fault. It was Ooh. your parents out of control. But you're 18 years old. What's going to be your story? It's going to be your fault, your excuse now. If your life is zero to 100, are you going to let the first 18 years of your life control the next 80, 90 years of your life? This much of your life control the rest of your life. And it was like Rocky Balboa moment. And I get off the mat, off the floor. And I remember making a commitment to myself that I will never let my past infect my future, that what my parents have done to me, I will not let it define me. I will not let it confine me. I will let that all of that stuff refine me, that what's happened to me with all the scars and abuse is not nearly as important as what's happened inside of me, Dustin. For so long, I was letting the inner me become the enemy. <laughs> so if my dad couldn't destroy me in the womb, my mom couldn't destroy me. My stepdad couldn't destroy me. The only one destroying me was me. Mm. And I was tired of it. I was tired of my own crap. I was tired of dealing it on everyone else. I was tired of taking it in. And I decided that 
I was not going to let other people's weaknesses, my parents' weaknesses, destroy my greatness. And then I started liking myself. All the seeds that the teachers are planting inside of you, seeds of love, seeds of determination, seeds of perseverance, seeds of endurance, seeds of integrity, seeds of value, all those seeds that you plant inside your students don't ever take root until they get the nutrient those seeds need. And you know what that nutrient is? Self-love. I'm sorry. <laughs> Self-love. Liking yourself and loving yourself. Like I could easily go back to that kid in foster care and try to give him what he needed to be his hero. But that kid, sorry, that kid had to find his own hero through his journey. He had to. He had to go through that so that tenacity would be his favorite word. That's my favorite word, tenacity. Persistent determination, never give up. And so I challenged myself and I worked on myself and I started understanding myself and having empathy for myself instead of hating myself and then having empathy for my parents because everybody's got a story. And this is what transformed me is I divorced my story, Dustin. I divorced my story from victim to victor. Instead of asking, why me, man? Why me? Why is this God? Why God? Why this? Why that? All these things. I started changing my vocabulary because why me is victim mentality. And I started asking a different question called what now? And it puts me in the moment. And once I was in that moment, I could live in the moment and not live in my past anymore. Whew, sorry, I was getting emotional there. Oh, I, I appreciate it. Again, that's that's what I was hitting to earlier. I think one of my one of my favorite uh basketball players ever is a guy named Jay Williams, who uh was rookie of the year and then uh, had a tragic bicycle accident, never been able to play basketball again. And he went through a dark seven years and his moment was he was saying, why me for seven years or so? And then it was until he said, you know what? I've, I'm an elite athlete. I have an elite work ethic. I have passion that it abounds. I'm like, he started asking God, like, why not me? Right. So like what now? It's just incredibly powerful. Um, what what kind of hacks do you have for when you, your brain, like on an off day or something, tries to take you back to that dark place? Like what hacks do you have? What disciplines you have in your life to help you get back to where the person you know you are the victor yeah so i went through a lot of therapy as an adult emdr was what really saved me eye movement desensitization reprocessing and it goes back into the trauma part of the brain and helps you heal to help rescue that five-year-old as an adult it was it was amazing um i was able to get through a lot of abuse but i i do have flashbacks here or there and i i feel them for a minute two three and then I swipe it like a phone picture. You just swipe and I swipe it. And because a lot of people will unpack and live in their thoughts. And those thoughts aren't always facts. And those thoughts create chemical releases. And I've learned a lot about all that, that we are walking chemical releases, whether it's a sad thought or a happy thought. So I, I've got to figure out how to um, not let that thought put any roots in me and get it out. If that doesn't work swiping it, then what I do is I close my eyes and I do my eye, my eyes backward or uh, go left to right with my eyeballs like this. And there's something with the darkness and the eyeball doing the movement. It's almost like when you're sleeping in a way too. 
yeah. like you'll notice sometimes your spouse or something like they're sleeping, their eyeballs might move a little or something. So it's that rapid eye movement. But um, and then also if that doesn't work, but that generally works, but I will close my eyes and think of like the most amazing dessert since I don't drink or smoke or anything like that. Right. Like I got to go with sugar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so, I want to see you on sugar, by the way. I'd love yeah. to see you on sugar. <laughs> and so I'll think of like this creamy uh, caramel with chocolate ice cream and dark chocolate and marshmallow and all that stuff. And that makes me feel good. Going to a place that makes me feel good. It's all about changing your state, just changing cool. your state, doing a state interruption, a mind interruption. That's awesome. So with that, you know, my, uh, on the podcast, I talk about my wife a lot and, you know, she's a chief of staff for her school district and, a lot of our friends are educators. And like I said, the people who are listening are educators mostly. And we're all, or they are all in a place of um, a need for rejuvenation of some sort. You know, it's always the summer you need it, but it feels, yeah. it feels heavier this year and it feels heavier the last yeah. two years. What type of advice do you have for people that, you know, are, have some downtime right now and they're trying to get their mind around stepping back to the plate and doing this teaching or principal thing or district leadership thing all over again. Yeah. So one thing is to change your vocabulary, the story you keep telling yourself. That's number one. So a lot of people will say to me at my, uh, you know, my audiences when I'm speaking all over and they'll uh, a lot, the, the most common thread probably is I'm just so sad all the time. And I go, how long have you been sad? Oh, for weeks or, you know, I'm very depressed. And I go, well, what happens is it changes your physiology when you keep saying that. And so I always tell them for two weeks, I want you to, instead of saying I'm sad or I'm depressed, which is real, but I want you to try something different because what you're doing isn't working. Mm -hmm. So what I want you to do is change, substitute the words. Instead of I'm sad, use the phrase, I'm recharging. And automatically you get a little blip. You automatically get a visual like your phone because we all want our phones charging all the time, right? So it's like, we're charging. I'm just recharging. And that automatically will give you a little blip of energy. And then it gives you a little hope because you know that you're gonna be eventually, like your phone, it'll be green again. It won't just be red, yellow, green, right? It's gonna go to green. And so it's the story we keep telling ourselves. And so I'm always about, watching documentaries, there's always someone that has it worse than you, right? That old parable, it says, I complained I had no shoes until I met a man who had no feet. <laughs> there's always someone that has it worse, for, worse than you. But here's the deal. Chances are when people are sad, there's a trigger going on. And it's usually something what I call uh, from an original wound that inner child in you has an original wound. And usually around 35 to 40 years old, it starts creeping up on you when you have kids. And then you get to see your own parents, how the grandparents treat their kids, treat your kids and like, well, I never got treated like that, right? And spoiled and this and that. And But you, a lot of us harbor and we hold on to resentment from, our, from an original wound that happened in our childhood. And then it doesn't magically go away, Dustin, when you turn 18 as an adult. It doesn't just all of a sudden go away. No, it compounds. It's all this residual. It accumulates. And then as an adult in your professional world and your personal life, in your relationships, in your career, in your finances, it starts manifesting itself and your negativity, how you view the world, what reality do you live in, right? Everybody lives in a different reality based upon 
their previous experiences. And it's usually that first five, six, seven years of your life. And so I'm a big fan of going to counseling and dealing with those triggers, dealing with what's making you sad, because if you don't, it doesn't go away. You got to talk about it. You got to get it out. You got to feel to heal, deal, feel, heal, feel to heal. If you keep stuffing it down, you'll bleed on people that never cut you. You'll hurt people, hurt people, hurt people, but you'll also hurt yourself. So why not let go and grow and make the rest of your life the best of your life and be better and not bitter? If we can get through the bitterness and the resentment and, and be more forgiving and change the expectations real quick. There's five things I learned I could control in foster care. Five things. That's it. I couldn't control my environment. I couldn't control the foster parents, my, my own biological parents, but I learned I could control five things. Number one, my attitude. My attitude is my best friend or my worst enemy. That's the one thing I get to choose 86,400 seconds a day. Number two, my thoughts. Research has shown we have approximately 35,000 thoughts that go through our mind every day. And a lot of them are negative because we're in survival brain. It's survival brain. It wants to protect us. So a lot of fear, a lot of doubt, a lot of anxiety. So you have to be the gatekeeper of your thoughts. If you get a bad thought in, because we all do, you got to swipe it. You got to do something. You got to get it out. Close your eyes. Move your eyes. Something. Number three, your actions. You get to choose your actions, everything, your finances. I mean, everything you spend money on, everything you eat, you choose your actions. No one else. You choose if you're going to hit somebody. You I mean, you choose. <laughs> and then number four, reaction. You choose. You have control over your reactions. So how you respond to a situation determines your success in life, right? And then number five, my expectations. I can never control them. Sometimes you surrender and you go, I'm doing my best. And you just aren't hard on yourself. But a lot of us beat ourselves up. So what with expectations comes anxiety. Think about that. <laughs> when you don't get to there or you're getting closer, why isn't it happening? I did A plus B equals C. How come it's not working? So those five things it changed my life. I think uh, we could talk for hours, by the way, because I've got you know, usually I, I try to have more paths to go down with someone, but this one, I think I've covered half of it. So we probably okay. need to figure that out and solve it at some point. I, yeah. <laughs> uh, I go from the, I, again, I, I want people to understand who are listening to you like that. You know, when we talked early on, I mean, there's folks who know you as rap dad, right? Yeah. It's so funny to me because I didn't start there with you. I saw it and I was like, I'll get to rap dad. Um, and that rap dad adds a lot of flavor to who you are. That's really yeah. cool and awesome. But like, I just spent 40 something minutes with you and on who you are in real solutions. And that's what you provide, which really inspires me to listen like, okay, how, do, how can I change right now? Let me write these down. Um, can you tell me how Rap Dad started and what Rap Dad is for the folks who have no idea? Like I didn't uh, uh, a few weeks ago. Yeah, Rappin' Dad. That's what I'm known. Steve Harvey. I was on Steve Harvey's TV show, and he's the one who named me Rappin' Dad. Um, Tosh.0, the comedian, it was Cool Dad. And uh, Shaquille O'Neal tweeted, uh, what's up, MC Soccer Dad, and all this stuff. But Rappin' Dad is what took when I was on Steve Harvey's TV show. And what it is, is when I was going through this crazy teenage life, 
I went to a school called Hayward High right outside Oakland, California, and uh, very diverse and hanging out with my African-American friends. And we'd always rap. And I turned out I had a little gift from the clarinet. <laughs> no one knew, but I, I knew that because if you've ever played the clarinet, you know about staccatos, the tongue hitting the reed, <laughs> like saxophone, oboe, right? The tongue hits the reed on the staccatos. And I, my tongue moved quick. And so I realized I had a little get, a gift for rapping and I sucked at rapping, but then my friend turned me on some reggae music and Lucky Dubé, Peter Tosh, Yellow Man, Bob and Ziggy Marley. I started vibing to reggae music and I thought, what if I could mix reggae with rap? That would trip everybody out. And so I started doing some rap battles and I sucked, but then once I got my reggae flow, it just changed. And I would do stuff like this. Well, my name at that point was Rip and D. <laughs> R-I-P-P-I-N-D, Rip and D, right? This little 16, 17-year-old. And I went like, well, I'll be the ripping. I'm thinking I'm making, taking my time. I'll be the ripping. I'm thinking I'm making it. I'm going to make it. I'm kicking it with the brown. And I'll switch to reggae. Is a man that want to feel. I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it. I'm kicking it. kicking it with the deals. I'm going to put the feel. coming. Nothing is impossible. And then everything changed. And I was like getting good. And so they call me Diamond D. I changed my name from Rippin' D to Diamond D because I was unbreakable. I came from nothing in life to be worth something, right? Yep. And, but fast forward, I mean, I tried to make it. I worked at the same studio as Tupac, Digital Underground, uh, Metallica, En Vogue, Club Nouveau, Tony Tony, all these 90 bands, right? And uh, some of them are still current, you know. But and in with all of those, by the way. Yeah. So... I tried to make it in the music industry for a number of years and it just never happened. And so I just was rapping here or there and it was no biggie, but then I had kids <laughs> and now my kids are getting older, like, you know, six, seven, eight, nine years old. And I'd start rapping in the car with them or for them. And then they started to learn to rap and do all this little fun stuff. And then, so about six, years ago or five years ago or so we were in the car on this rural road going to play tennis at the tennis clinic at the country club yep. <laughs> and a long way. you've come a long way i know <laughs> so they were in their tennis clinic right yep. and um as we're driving there i start busting a rap and my son catches it on camera and then i you know i turn on him he does a little rap and then my son in the backseat he doesn't want to rap and holy cow, we're like, let's put it on YouTube. So we put it on YouTube. We got like a thousand views. We're like, we're viral. This is awesome. And so, and then it sat for six months. And all of a sudden I get some messages that uh, from Reddit of all places, I've never even been on Reddit at that point, but um, hey, your, your video is going viral. And I'm like, what? What's that mean? Blah, blah, blah. Reddit, it's going viral. And all of a sudden it went to 10,000 views. And then we watched it. It went to 10,000, then 20,000, then 30,000. We're like, holy cow. Then it went to a million. And we're like, oh, my gosh. And the title of that video was, can your dad rap like this or something like that? That's what it was. Can your dad rap like this or something? Can your dad do this or something like that? And then uh, so I started putting out more content. And then I got a Facebook and like all this social media, like a few years ago. And I'm, I'm like, holy cow, people are following me. And then it just kept growing. All of a sudden I got 20 million views on a video and then 30 million. I'm like, holy cow. And then I put out a video, I don't know, maybe two years ago or three years ago. 
and it's me just rapping about celebrities. Yeah. And that video has now had almost 300 million views. I've been sure, I've, Snoop Dogg shares my video. Like all these rappers <laughs> share my video. All these celebrities have shared my video and it's insane. But what I thought, what I used as a, a therapy as a teenager to get out all my pain. Yep. Who would have thought years later that what I used as a therapy would be fun and amazing for other people to listen to because I'm breaking stereotypes. I mean, look at me. And then number two, if I had ever made it as a rapper back then, chances are I wouldn't be in the trenches that I love to go speak in at juvies, prisons, you know, things on, you know, childhood trauma, all that stuff. So I look at it like it's a blessing that it happened when it happened because I probably would have been very irresponsible at 18, 19, 20, 21, 22 years old uh, and had a lot of temptations and stuff that I was, that I would have had to overcome even more stuff versus just dealing with my past and then getting to a point where it's like, you're ready now, Derek. So does rapping dad, as people are thinking, God, I got to get Derek to my district. (laughs) Does rapping dad uh, show up at the, uh, every, every time you speak? Oh Yeah. Okay. Nolan brought me in a couple times and he's like, we got rapping dad. <laughs> <laughs> this is amazing. All right. So we're going to end with rapping dad. I got a couple okay. rapid fire questions before we get there, yeah. but I'm going to let you send us out on a high note with rapping okay. dad. Uh, with right. some inspiration. So we'll we've this season we've asked, we've closed with this just a series of questions that I think are pretty helpful to learn more about you, but also think about ourselves. So, um, what habit or discipline do you use either on a daily or weekly basis that helps you be the best version of yourself? What habit? Not like our habits, not like, not like seven habits, but like what habits do you have in your life or disciplines you have in your life that help you be successful uh, on a daily or weekly basis? Yes, I visualize to materialize. What you focus on grows. So I visualize whatever my goals are and yep. I focus on them. And sometimes I get distracted and whatever, but I, I keep it's all about intentional power of intention. Yep. What uh, books, podcasts could be anything. Do you have you read that you think other people need to check out? It could be recent, could be you know an all time book for you, or even if you consume more podcasts or uh, media in a different way. What what is it that um, uh, speaks to you that you think people need to check out? Yeah, my favorite book is The Power of Now from Eckhart Tolle. I read that book uh, years ago when I was doing EMDR therapy before it was cool on Oprah or anywhere else. The power of now about living in the moment, not living in the past, not living in the future. How many of us, a lot of people don't live in the now. They live in the future. They live in the past. So it's a constant struggle for me, but I, I'm reminded all the time that I've got to live in the now. That's so true. Um, uh, this question I've been excited to ask you since okay. I saw your first rap dad video. And now that I see all the music behind you, I'm more excited. Uh, what, when you're driving, you have a long drive stuck in traffic in LA or you're on a walk for yourself and you got your, your music with you. Uh, what artists and or songs are on your playlist and the most popular playlist you listen to? Right yeah. Most popular is eighties music. <laughs> yeah. It's even, it isn't even a rap per se. It's like the cure to tears for fears to uh, Stevie 
you know, Stevie Nicks, Fleetwood Mac to ACDC to like Def Leppard. Like I'm an 80s guy, man. That's if I want to feel good. That's another hack. If I want to feel good, I throw on my 80s playlist. It, mm. it just I have so many good memories, too, of the 80s. So, you know, that's crazy. I, I was waiting to see. I was like. Are you listen to Kendrick Lamar these days? He has a really I mean, album that just I mean, came I, out. You. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I, I do cold? hear there, but I mean, if I want to feel good, I'll throw on Beastie Boys or some, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. All right. Oh, I had God. to ask. I was excited yeah. about that. But I am a hip hop. I love hip hop, but it's not my go to thing to feel good or like if I'm on a long ride. I might do a little bit of the 90s, 80s hip hop, but nah, man, I, I love that whole new way, modern, you know, music, you know. Yeah. So. Well, I do think there's a, uh, when I was teaching high school there, a good friend of mine was, I don't know, the president of a regional organization or a national organization called Hip Hop Congress, which they were focused on helping kids like that back when you were a student, help them process their pain and trauma and use it for productive means. And so I think there's a lot of power to that art form if used correctly. Yeah, it's a, it's a great way to creatively express yourself because rap to me was like the taxi to my spirit. Yep. Uh, allow me to unlock all the craziness and get it out, get the inside stuff out. And then rap was also like the master key to lock of my self-imprisonment, the master key mm. to the lock. So yeah, rap was very, very influential. I don't like a lot of rap these days. They're talking about drugs, Percocet, Molly, Xanax, like all this stuff. The beats are cool, but, and they don't flow like they don't flow, you know, like uh, the eighties and nineties, but yeah, uh, you know, rap back in the day was about stories like struggles. Like if I go to the gym right now, I'm going to turn on some Tupac. I mean, it's true. It's Tupac <laughs> is going to bring me like some strength and I'm going to just like, it's the story, right? It's the story. <laughs> so the, the rap these days, a lot of it is not about the story of overcoming the struggle. Yeah, I agree. I think that's one of the reasons that, uh, I mean, I, growing up playing basketball, I was going to tell you my, uh, we would have AAU tournaments and travel and uh, we would buy instrumental you know, our favorite songs, we buy the yeah. instrumental tape or DVD or CD, right? It shows you how old we are. Yeah. Uh, and they'd be like, all right, Dustin, it's your turn. And I'm like, I have no idea what we're doing. Please stop calling on me. Uh, <laughs> and so like, I listened to the music, I got hooked, but I have no talent. And so yeah. uh, going from Rip and D and being terrible would have been my world. The fact <laughs> that Diamond Deed is amazing. Yeah. Um, so with that, you know, usually the question that I ask folks is, uh, you know, a lot of folks that we have on are just surrounded by a lot of awesome thought leaders, or you're just doing a lot of introspection yourself. And so I always ask, like, what's the best piece of leadership or change advice you have for our audience right now? And you can give that and then transition to a wrap, or you can just make the wrap the, the closeout. I'd appreciate yeah, either way. No, I'll, I'll give it to you. Um, Zig Ziglar, you know, he's an old time motivational speaker, old time. I used to be in a this... Bible study with him back in the day. Oh, wow. Okay. You'll appreciate Texas. this. It's one of my favorite quotes besides Dr. Wayne Dyer's too. Um, fear has two meanings. There's an acronym for fear that Zig Ziglar came up with. Fear has two meanings. The acronym, forget everything and run. Or fear, which I adopted, is face everything and rise. Hmm. That is one of my favorite things right there, favorite quotes. That's and awesome. then obviously my quote from Rocky Balboa, you know, you probably all heard that, but you know, the world ain't all sunshine and rainbows. You heard that one? Of course. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, 
It's a mean and nasty place, and I don't care how tough you are. It will beat you to your knees and keep you there permanently if you let it. You, me, or nobody is going to hit as hard as life. But it ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. Now, if you know what you're worth, then go out and get what you're worth. But you got to be willing to take the hits and not pointing fingers saying you ain't where you want to be because of him, her, or anybody. Cowards do that. And that ain't you. You're better than that. I love that. <laughs> Appreciate the accent as well. All right. <laughs> Send us out, rap, rapping dad. Okay. Uh, rapping dad. Here we go. So if you want to get in hold of me, you can go to social media, rapping dad, R-A-P-P-I-N-G-D-A-D. Look for the blue check mark. My website, I will never give up.com. Here we go. We're going to send it out, Dustin. So here's a few lessons that I've learned. I've turned a mess into a message and earned a return. I've turned scars into stars, live like avatars. No one can stop you if you believe in your heart. And this is your life. Go and own it. Never let the past infect your future for a moment. Never let a weakness destroy your greatness. It's time to profess you're too blessed to be stressed. Bam, you can be everything you want to be, but never let the inner me mm, be your enemy. It's time to be better and not bitter. It's a choice to be a winner, and it's a choice to be a quitter. So if you've been knocked down or thought about suicide, get out of the shadows and hold your head high. Because this is your time, and this is your sign. Get up and climb. You were born for this moment to shine. My name's Derek Clark. Thank you, Dustin, for having me on. Derek, that was awesome, man. Uh, that was really, really awesome. Thank you for making time for us. We definitely need to figure out how to get you uh, plugged in with more awesome. of what we do. Um, this was a blessing. I appreciate Thank it so much. You. Thank you. Appreciate it. Please support us by subscribing to our YouTube channel, uh, podcast on Apple or Spotify, and help us celebrate the beautiful, messy work of shaping human potential. Mm -hmm.